Good evening. It's a privilege to be able to share with you this evening. It is always a privilege when you have the opportunity to share the word. Uh, just before I begin, I need to recognize the presence of one of my former teachers, Sister Sylvia Knowles. I thank you for the opportunity to thank you a number of years later when as one of my teachers, when I was a boy, how you showed kindness as a teacher and you made sure that education was a priority in the lives of your children. Thank you for being one of my loving teachers, one of my favorite teachers. I appreciate your presence here tonight. I thank you so much. John chapter 4, John chapter 8, and Luke chapter 7. In these three passages, we read about three different women. All three had similar backgrounds, which were frowned upon and condemned by the religious leaders of the day. They also had something in common. They each had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus and were never the same. One more so than the other two, which is the one that I will focus on tonight. Here is their story. In John chapter 4, follow along because it should be on the screen. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sakar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. 
Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And after two days, he departed for Galilee. John 8, verse 2. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they may have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is, is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And our final passage, Luke 7, verse 36 on. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. 
And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Like I said, three women, similar backgrounds. And out of all three, one more so than the other two, I think Jesus had a profound effect on her life, which I think we see clearly in her response to him. In this Luke passage, chapter 7, a Pharisee, unnamed at first, invites Jesus to his home for a meal. Now, very little is said about this Pharisee, and even his name at this point is not yet revealed, not until a few verses later. But notice that Jesus accepted his invitation without hesitation, without question, and took his seat at the table. The fact that not much information is given about this Pharisee seems to suggest or could suggest that he was not popular Neither did he hold Jesus in high regard. Notice that the Jewish custom usually followed when a guest is invited into the home. As long as he is an invited guest, the first thing is done is water is provided to wash the feet. Because he is invited, there's a kiss of greeting. Or there's there's one of the ways in which they greet with a a kiss on both sides, which is a 
Middle Eastern Jewish custom. And then secondly, again because he's an invited guest, the head is anointed with oil. But notice, and you'll see this alluded to in a little while, this was not done. Probably because he was still skeptical about whether or not Jesus was a true prophet, or probably because he just he was trying to trap Jesus to discredit him. But despite his intention, Jesus certainly knew who he was, as well as his motives for the invitation. Yet, he still accepted and took his seat at the table. Verse 37. And behold, the woman of the city, who was a sinner, probably a prostitute, even though it was not specified, it was not said clearly in the portion that we read that she was, but I think it, it's uh, alluded to without calling that word. Uh, when she learned that he was, uh, Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and standing behind his feet weeping, she began wetting his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. Now this is where skepticism becomes more evident. And I say that because when the Pharisee saw this, meaning the actions of the woman, notice what he said to himself. He said to himself or concluded in his mind that this man can't be who he claims to be. Why? Because if he was, he would have known that this woman was a sinner or a woman of the night or uh, her reputation if he was a prophet. And also that any contact with her would have made him unclean. You see, he was looking at it from a Jewish perspective that if he was a true prophet, any contact with such a person would have made him or rendered him unclean. Now verse 40 is where we see Jesus identifies who this Pharisee is. And Jesus now identifies. He says, Simon... And using a parable to illustrate the difference between him as a person coming, coming across as self-righteous, whose heart was cold and indifferent because of, I guess, legalism, and the difference between him and the woman who had experienced true forgiveness for her many sins and her response to being forgiven, Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And then he goes off and and shared the parable that I read earlier. He said, a money lender lent out uh, 500 denarii and 50 denarii. Neither of them could have paid. So he forgave or he canceled both. And in asking which one would you think would have appreciated more? And of course, the logical answer would be the one who had the greater debt. 
Jesus agreed with him. Jesus accepted his invitation and embraced the opportunity as a teachable moment. But it was not only for the woman. To me, I think more specifically, it was for the Pharisee and his friends also. See, he knew who both of them were, the woman and the Pharisee. He also knew what was in their hearts and knew their need for redemption and salvation. He used the opportunity to show compassion and extend forgiveness and salvation to the woman, not because of the act itself, but because of her faith and the expression of love and gratitude for being forgiven for her many sins. Because of her transformation, she was unashamed and unmoved by what the others would say or think. And as we read in that passage, the presence of the others in the room did not prevent her from entering the house and expressing in a very tangible way how she really felt about being forgiven by Jesus. Now, the, Jesus knew who she was. Jesus knew who the Pharisee was. The Pharisee's attitude was, if you are who you claim to be, you would know who she is, a sinner. She knew Jesus was on the inside, but she also knew that he wasn't alone. She knew who the house belonged to. She knew Jesus was an invited guest, and she knew that there were others seated beside him. But notice, Holla previous lifestyle, the fact that she was ostracized, made to feel um, less than a person simply because of her reputation and lifestyle, she was so overwhelmed, so overcome by gratitude and thankfulness for this forgiveness and for this freedom, for this newness, this new lease on life that she has found through Christ, through forgiveness, having been released from the burdens that she had bared. She did not prevent any of this from preventing her to come inside and to sit at the feet of the master to express her gratitude and thankfulness. That did not prevent her from coming in to show him how she truly felt Going through, going through this a number of times, I wondered why she felt, why she, why she felt she had to go behind Jesus and go down behind his feet. I tried to figure that out. I tried to, why, why from, why, why from behind? She probably didn't feel proper to go to, to approach him because of who she knew he was. She, didn't probably, she probably didn't feel proper to, to approach him uh, face to face. And so she did 
what she thought the humble thing to do was to go to his feet. Remember, the washing of the feet was done by who? Well, the servants. They would provide water, but the servants is the ones who wash the feet. And so in, in, in expressing her gratitude, it is as if she took on servanthood to wash the feet of her master. No cloth or anything was provided. She used her hair. And then the expensive ointment that she brought, she used on the master. Again, because of her gratitude, because of her thankfulness, because of her appreciation for what he had done for her. Jesus was not intimidated by the fact that he was in the Pharisee's home, even seated at his dinner table, but used that opportunity to rebuke him for focusing more on the reputation of the woman rather than her repentance. See, in his mind, he had already written her off. She's a sinner. And then he's about to, in his mind, say about Jesus that, if you was who you claim to be, you would know who she is. She was a piece of property. No value, mean nothing to him. But you, Jesus used, I guess, for lack of a better word, the dregs of society to point out the difference between him and her. How many of us would agree to a dinner invitation at the home of someone we don't know, don't share our beliefs, skeptical about who we claim to be, but Jesus, and, 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 and then rebuke them for being legalistic and showing no compassion? Would you accept or would you be concerned about what the neighbor's going to think if I'm seen going into this house knowing who they are and who I claim to be? Are you more concerned about what they would say? Or you see this as an opportunity for ministry and you go anyway? But how many of us would accept? Jesus broke down barriers and did not stereotype anyone. But he expects us to do the same. He expects us to do the same for him. And we can see in a little while. He confronted the Pharisee about his behavior. And we too will have to face Jesus at the end to answer for our behavior as well. In Matthew 5. 13, 14, and 15, Jesus describes us as salt and light, a metaphor clearly familiar to his audience at that time and should be to us as well. He says in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how shall, it be, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be trampled on the foot. Let us examine that verse. 
What does it mean? How can you as a believer lose your saltiness? Well, first let's look at salt. What is its purpose? Salt has many purposes. It is, first of all, a preserver. Secondly, it creates thirst. And when used in the right proportion, it enhances the flavor of food, meaning to make it more tasty and satisfying. Now, those are not the only purposes for salt. There are certainly other um, purposes, but suffice it for tonight, we use those three. Using that same analogy, flavor, when we as Christians practice, because none of these, none of this come easy, and only as we follow the Spirit to control us that any of us, that any of this is possible. But when we practice loving others unconditionally, practice forgiveness or forgiving others, showing compassion, practice being non-judgmental, and practice kindness and sincerity. See, we stand out as different. And people notice. People take notice. They may not always comment on it every time they see it, but they take notice. They take notice and they respond. We stand out as different. People will notice and they will respond. There is an attraction because you exhibit the actions and the attitude that portrays you as accepting. You're not a person who can't be approached. You're not an approachable person. People feel drawn to you. And they will come to you and feel free to talk to you. They see you as pleasant because you exhibit actions and attitudes that portray you as accepting, approachable, and pleasant. People will feel comfortable with you. These traits remove all barriers and creates the opportunity for conversation that leads to sharing, giving the confidence and the assurance that you are trustworthy, that you are credible, and that you are a person anyone can turn to in a moment of need or when they are hurting. That same lifestyle lived in humility also creates thirst, the second purpose I shared for salt, meaning that people who observe how you live generally become curious about what they see and what they hear, and not only ask you, what, what is it about you? You, 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 are, you? you strike me as different. But one of the things that they would probably say to you is, how can I get what I see in you? On the other hand, to display a selfish, mean, and uncaring attitude gives the appearance or the impression that you are aloof, unfriendly, and unapproachable. This type of behavior creates barriers, making conversation either difficult or awkward, and results in missed opportunities for sharing. 
Another barrier, compromise, criminal behavior, living as a carnal Christian. All those traits, are all, uh, they're all noticed by others. And it leaves serious questions and doubts lingering in the minds of others. And the flavor and potency of your salt is not the same. As a result of that observation, they conclude that you are either not credible and therefore dismiss what you say, even though what you may have shared was accurate. Then in verse 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and hide it under a basket, but puts it on a stand and it gives light to those to the whole house. As there are different purposes for salt, so it is with light. Some lights are brighter than others and have different uses. A lamp may only give sufficient light to light up a room or enough light for a footpath. But a flashlight would have a longer and a brighter beam, thereby giving a clearer vision to light the way. But whether you are a lamp or a flashlight, you are expected to shine wherever there is darkness. Let me say that again. Whether you are a lamp or a flashlight, wherever you are, no matter the situation, no matter the environment, you are expected to shine. Why? Because you are a light. Now you can see in a little while that we are not responsible for that designation. We didn't choose in ourselves to be a light or to be salt. That was bestowed upon us. As I said earlier, any failure on our part to let our light shine will result in facing consequences. My friends, we did not choose this designation, salt and light. This was bestowed upon us by the master himself because of who we represent and because of what he expects of us. This means that we have to get involved in the lives of others in order to make a difference. To do that, we must first be submissive to our God and obedient, bold yet patient, firm yet loving, kind yet discerning. This all flows out of our heart of love for him, meaning Christ. And because we love him, we can go places and embrace persons that may make us feel uncomfortable, but we do so in an attempt to reach those the world may despise and think is unworthy. We must keep our lights shining bright so wherever we go, our light will extinguish the darkness around us and be ready to give the reason for the hope that we have in him. In all three of these passages, there were three unidentified women considered as outcasts and unworthy by society. Yet, they were embraced by the master. Their lives was transformed my friends, salt that remains in the jar has no effect on food. 
A light hidden on the bowl leaves the room in darkness. So it is with us as professing Christians. When we play it safe by staying in our little group or on our side of the street, and if some of us choose to pass judgment, having an elitist attitude instead of being Instead of seeing others as Christ sees them and reach out in love to a lost and hurting world until we, uh, until we attempt to love as Jesus did, nothing changes. Please, let us not forget that Jesus himself said, I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And again he said, it is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. As it was then, so it is now. We have many who are unrighteous. We have many who are sick. I heard a long list this morning in our prayer time. We have many who are hurting because of the economic conditions right now. Let us go out and follow the example Jesus set for us and be salt and light to this dark and dying world. Three women. Similar backgrounds. Similar circumstances. Jesus, when he woke up that morning, they didn't catch him by surprise that he would meet these women. When he had to go through Samaria, it wasn't because that trip caught him by surprise. Meeting the woman at the well and the disciples being away at that time was not a coincidence. Her transformation, the lady in Luke 7, her transformation, and in John 8, her transformation. You notice all three women are unnamed. But Jesus considered it important enough that he mentions all three. What is he saying to us? Is there anybody beneath us, too good, too not good enough for us to reach out to? If you saw a little note in the bulletin this morning, I use a term that I've heard many times. Jesus goes from the uttermost to the godmost. He saves all, all who would call, all who would call on him. My friends, it ain't about how long you speak. It ain't all about how fancy your words are. It is how you take what the word says and then what you do with what the word says. This message tonight is short, very short. God ain't impressed by the length of the message. 
God honors your obedience. When you meet someone who's hurting, but you could get down with them and help them up, no matter who it may be. My friends, this coming a day, we can stand before him. We can have to give an account. We will have to answer about what we did that we should not have done or what we could have done and didn't do. Sin of omission and sin of commission. And on that day, you will not be able to say, come on, Lord, I mean, you must have forgotten because I mean, it ain't like you don't know this. Those kind of arguments don't work. When you stand before the King of Kings, he will open the book. Won't lose your salvation, of course. You won't. You can't. What about your rewards? What about your obedience? Jesus says, He that honor me, him will I honor. He that honor me, him will I honor. Let us, in, our, in the course of each day, as we have opportunity, let us honor him by going, by telling, by helping, by sharing, by giving, by loving, by forgiving. That's all a part of the Great Commission. And that's what he expects of us, to love, to forgive, to show compassion, to give a helping hand, a cold, glass of cold water. Father, how I pray that each day you would continue to impress on our hearts the very tangible ways in which we can reach out to those who need a helping hand, those who are discouraged, may need an encouraging word. Showing love is not always about giving. Sometimes it's just spending time. Sometimes it's just saying a prayer. Sometimes it's just offering a word of encouragement. Maybe just giving someone a lift. But I pray that we would be sensitive to your leading at all times. That we would know what you are impressing on our heart at any given time. Help us to be sensitive to what you're saying to us. Not to allow any opportunity to pass by where we can honor you by helping somebody. Lord, thank you that even women considered women of the, of the night, women of the street, women of the city, otherwise known as prostitutes, they were not beneath you. Lord, you brought about a transformation because of your love for all. And I thank you for the example that you've set for me. Oh, Father, help me never to be judgmental toward anybody. When I am, please forgive me. Convict me of it, Lord. Help me to see them as you see them. See them from your perspective. See them through your eyes. And to respond as you would have me to respond. And I pray that for each of my brothers and sisters here tonight. Thank you for each of them being here. 
Give us the strength and the grace each day to honor you. As you said, he that honor me, him will I honor. Thank you. Thank you for these few words that you've impressed on my heart. How I pray that as we leave, as we depart, that we would allow you to work through us, minister through us, so that in all that we say and do, you would be uplifted and you would be glorified. We give you thanks. And all God's people said, Amen.